0: All right, we're talking about Frederick Bedecker. We kind of sprung board toward him um, when we were looking at Lord Radstock. Good. And he's a, they were connected, um, and here, boom, let's go. Okay, Lord Radstock fellowshipped in the Bristol congregation with George Mueller, and he uh, was in a time of a spiritual awakening and revival. Uh, he had gotten uh, converted, uh, I think, sometime after around the time of the Crimean War, and uh, which was a war with Russia. And interestingly, uh, here he is a Brit. He's uh, in a peer of the realm. He's uh, uh, likely in those days in an atmosphere of deep loyalty to the British commonwealth and to english thinking in general and yet after he got converted he became so international in his thinking without uh without this burning loyalty only to one country and that's one of the great things that happened in the revival times was a breakdown of these prejudices which believers had people from different denominations were Feeding off one another, being blessed by their fellowship with one another, and also uh, a sense of the great commission, the call to to evangelize all the world, and and so that was a a breakdown of this the hindrances of a nationalistic patriotism, which is um, so very. Uh, so very common. Mm-hmm. So of all things, here he'd been involved in the Crimean War, which was a war with Russia. And in those days, just like America had its Cold War with, with uh, Russia back in the 50s and 60s, especially England in the 1800s had a protracted Cold War against Russia. Yeah. And they, were, and they, they got to, went to blows in the Crimean War. Everyone's taking their turns. Yeah, yeah. And so it was at that time that Lord Rathstock got saved, and then he was involved in the gospel campaign in uh, western Supermar, where uh, uh, Bedeker had come to live, and a friend of his had gotten converted going to these meetings, a military guy, and urged uh, urged Bedeker to, um, uh, to come to the meetings, And so he went, and he thought, I'm not going to go again. Well, maybe I'll go a second time. Hmm. And it was on the second meeting that he was there that Lord Radstock walked up to Frederick Bedeker. He was a guy. He had had an earned doctorate. His father had been a scientist who had, who was, uh, uh, whether he was nominally Christian or not, I don't know. But he was a guy who was, uh, uh, was uninterested in Christian things. And Bedecker himself described himself as a German infidel. And and he was approached by Radstock at the end of the meeting. My man, God has a message through me for you tonight. <laughs> and he takes him off into a back room, and they have an interview. And afterwards, Bedecker comes out, and he says, I went in a German infidel and came out a humble disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow! So German by birth, but he's an Englishman. Yeah, he had joined the military uh, uh, as a young man, but he had health issues, health problems, and he didn't fare well. So he went on to Bonn, city in Germany, and went to university, got a doctorate, and then began traveling all around the world and finally settled. But he had health problems. He was he was a bit of a hypochondriac, and he. Uh, but I think not just imaginary he had real health problems and he landed finally in england uh it appears like he he was able to support himself and had money hmm. he had means but um uh he in spite of that if you lose your health what do you got so he's he's a sickly guy who was scared about going out on a protracted walk with his wife for fear he'd have a heart attack. Really? And his relatives didn't think he was going to live very long. But after he got converted in 1866, he carried on for 40 years serving God, actively involved. And and though he might catch the flu or get a cold or something, he never really was incapacitated in his health through all of his immense travels, Hmm. which... some writers say dwarfed the distances that John Wesley traveled. Wow, really? So I, I think Francis Asbury in the United States far surpasses the the travels of John Wesley. Yeah. But anyway, John Wesley's travels were legendary. Yeah, well, but, he was horseback. Bedecker got it on a train, right? Yeah, well, he would travel on train. He'd also travel by carriage. Okay. And but he he traversed the whole distance of Russia. Straight up. He would go on a trip, which would end up being a three-year trip, where he would go into Russia. And uh, it was in, uh, I think, the middle 70s. Uh, with Radstock's encouragement, he was acting as an interpreter for an American preacher over in Germany. And the people were listening to him interpreting this other preacher. He says, why are we inviting this American to come? We've already got what we need. And so they thought. Well, let's let's just listen to this German. He he preaches the message we need, and and so the doors just opened nice. for him. He'd been a child of God for about ten years, mm-hmm. but he'd grown immensely. Even though he'd been converted in adulthood, uh, I I think he was in his forties, if I'm correct, and here he uh, was just uh, a growing as a, a believer and able to. Uh, uh, to really handle the word in a really good way. So he went on into Russia with Radstock's encouragement. And they and there's a book by Edmund Heyer about schism in Russia. Uh he's a, I think Edmund Heyer is a German and he wrote a book with the records that they had about the awakening that occurred in Russia in the 1870s under okay. the reign of Alexander II. Okay. And Alexander II was a reformer yeah. and allowed for some religious freedom. Hmm. But I mentioned that uh, there was this um, uh, this procreator of the Russian Church named Konstantin Pobedonostsev, and he was he he came to power under the reign of Alexander II. Alexander II, then a year later, got assassinated with a bomb from an anarchist type. Wow. And, and then his son, Alexander III, came in to power. And, uh, and Pope Adonastef was the procreator, kind of a layman, but uh, he, was a, he had been a, a teacher in university, uh, uh, a legal mind, who was really like the head of the Russian Orthodox Church, a cabinet member to the Tsar. Well, the Tsar, in a way, he runs, you know, he's looked at as if he's the head. Yeah. But Probe and was the power behind the throne. He was the neck that turned the head. Yeah, that's it. And, and uh, he was a terrible persecutor. Interesting. Yeah, and so when you read mm-hmm. about the persecutions of the Stundists, and you read about the persecutions of 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 the Protestants in, in uh, and also of the Jews, and the pogroms against the Jews. Like for instance, there's that um, that movie Fiddler on the Roof. Yes, it was a Broadway play and made into a great movie, and I think it received many Academy Awards. Very interesting movie, but it's set in the time of the Czars. Interesting under the reign of and Ostef. interesting See, in that time and at the very end of the movie uh, uh, because uh, 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 there were political accusations made against the Jewish community mm-hmm. that they were revolutionary or uh, they harbored certain revolutionaries yeah, they were persecuted interesting yeah yeah and but so under this Constantin, Probably and there was the, all this uh, uh, protracted period of persecution. But the amazing thing, and this is a, a great thing to realize, is that in that very time, Radstock and Baedeker get this door into the hierarchy among people that the Greek church didn't really have a grip over. The, the Eastern Orthodox Church. The, the Russian Orthodox yeah, Church. Know. Yeah. The okay. Russian Orthodox Church. What did I say? The Greek Church. Well, yeah, yeah, right. The the, mm-hmm. the Russian Orthodox the, They did not have a... Um, sometimes called the Eastern Church. Yeah. But uh, uh, they weren't able to control. And and there's this evangelical revival. And and, uh, uh, Bedecker. And Radstock, their work was didn't go unnoticed. So there were reports of it, and it was considered a phenomena of the time. Hmm. And in Tolstoy's book called the uh, 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 called Resurrection, he talks about it. Now Tolstoy didn't believe in eternal punishment. He didn't really have Orthodox Christian views. He'd had some kind of an experience. He had been a profligate, wasteful guy as a young person, and then had a kind of a spiritual awakening, but really never embraced Orthodox Christianity. And in uh, his very last book that he ever wrote, he, has, he actually has a character that he modeled after Proben and Really? But he ha- yes. But he also has in the book two people, and one's name is Kaiswetter, which means kind of like a foreteller of the weather, wetter as weather. Yeah. And it's like a um uh you know how the, the Lord Jesus he uh, he said in Matthew's gospel, um in in Matthew sixteen Then the Pharisees and Sadducees came and tested him and asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said to them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, or the sky is red, and in the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites! You know how to discern the face of the sky, you cannot discern the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. So the Lord Jesus reproves these people. He says, you claim that you can tell the weather, but you don't see the signs of the times. Hmm. And, and so when, when Tolstoy... Picks a name for this main character. It's a large character. It's an interesting character in the book. He he uses that this word Keiswetter, which is a, to German word which really derives from the idea of the weather teller. Interesting. <laughs> so you could just. So I am not sure if he means by it that this this man this German man in in is a character in the book claimed to know the weather but really didn't? Or whether he was like the Lord who did know the signs of the times? I'm not sure. Interesting, yeah. 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 I mean, it's a question, but but Tolstoy is really not sympathetic. He's not sympathetic to the message that they brought. And so he tells this story, and I, and, uh, I, I, I think it'd be interesting to hear it. Uh. In chapter 14 of his book, uh, uh, the main character is going through a time of spiritual resurrection. That's the name of the book, Resurrection. And he had defrauded a girl. And the girl uh, went on, I think she became pregnant, and then uh, lost the baby. Uh, And then she gave herself to a life of prostitution. So the main character in the book feels very guilty about it and tries to to rectify his life. And so he needs to go through a rebirth and be resurrected into a new person. And he does it by trying to reform the prostitute by apologizing and trying to repay the prostitute for the damage he's done to her. Hmm. So she ends up getting actually falsely accused of a crime and is sent to Siberia. And the main character follows her to Siberia and tries to get her released from prison, released from exile and and all of that. Well, this woman uh, doesn't receive the kindness. But in the midst of this whole story, you have the main character. He's a high-born guy. He's an upper-level guy in the nobility. He's a prince. And he's talking to some high-level lady in society. And she says, he says, uh, you have a chance of hearing Kaiswetter. Ah, you know, the is coming. Yeah. She's very excited. Who is Kai Kaiswetter. Nikludov says, Nikludov is the main character of the story. Kai come, is come this evening and you will find out who he is. He speaks in such a way that the most hardened criminals sink on their knees and weep and repent. <laughs> and, and so, uh, Tolstoy, he's telling the story about this character. And this lady that he knows is, to the main character, a phony. Hmm. She's a phony. And she wants to listen to this evangelical preacher from Germany. But uh, she she really... um, She has not gone through the resurrection that the main character has gone through. The main character, by human suffering and sacrifice, is trying to re is trying to uh, rejuvenate his life make himself into a new person yeah and and so he he describes the message of Kai Wetter he says um, uh, he his teaching holds that the essence of Christianity lies in a belief in redemption see the idea that Christ paid a price on the cross whereby we, if we would believe the message, could receive a a payment for our sin and have a totally new life. A Belief in redemption. Uh, She went to meetings where this teaching, then in fashion, was being preached and assembled the faithful in her own house through this teaching, repudiated all ceremonies, icons, and sacraments. <laughs> and, he, and, yet, and yet, the main character says, yeah, but this lady, she's supposed to be repudiating all these things, but she's got icons all through her house. Wow. So she, she's hypocritical. And then she goes on, it goes on in the book, and it tells about a meeting in which Kai Kaisweta preaches. In the evening, soon after dinner, this is in chapter 17 of Tolstoy's book. The large hall with high back carved chairs arranged in rows as for a meeting. It's very interesting. He's a good author, and he's describing what these evangelical meetings were like. And it, now, how accurate it is, I don't know. You know, I wonder about that. Is yeah. he being honest? But the... But Tolstoy himself was a high level guy. and he's, he's uh, at by the end of his life become a famous author. And so he's, he's got a hold of this information. He starts telling about it. And so he says uh, there there was an armchair next to a little table and a bottle of water for the speaker. Now the speaker he be, the, the room began to fill with people. Come to hear the foreigner, kai sweater, preach. Elegant equipages stopped at the front entrance. In the hall sat richly dressed women. And, and this is Tolstoy's point. Tolstoy, he's, he's, he says, yeah, these evangelicals are coming from Germany and they have this message. There's also an Englishman he's going to re- describe later who goes into the prisons and gives out Bibles right, and preaches right. redemption. Yeah. This message of redemption. But in talking about it, he says, Yeah, but a lot of these highborn people are phonies hmm. who are listening to him. So he says In the hall sat richly dressed ladies in silks and velvets and lace with false hair and false busts and drawn in waists. Hmm. <laughs> So (laughs) they're all dolled up. Yeah. But it's phony. Yeah. It's all, it's a phoniness. And among the men in uniform and evening dress, and about five persons of the common class, and and two men servants, a shopkeeper, a footman, and a coachman. So there's all levels of society, but these high level people, and and Tolstoy himself is, in his own personal life, had repudiated. Uh, a lot of the trappings of high society, and so when he sees it, and these people who still dress and act and wear the uniforms and all that, he despises it. Mm. And so he's he's talking. Well, all these people are coming out to hear the he, he, hear the evangelical, and and then he says this. Kai Sweater, a thick-set, grisly man, spoke English, and a thin young girl with the Prince Nez... Translated it into Russian promptly and well. He was saying that our sins were so great, the punishment for them so great and so unavoidable, that it was impossible to live anticipating such punishment. Beloved brothers and sisters, let us for a moment consider what we are doing, how we are living, how we have offended against the all loving Lord, and how we make Christ suffer. And we cannot but understand that there is no forgiveness possible for us, no escape possible, that we are all doomed to perish. A terrible fate awaits us, everlasting torment. Quote, and this is, this is a quotation from Kai Sweater's preaching. He said with tears in his trembling voice, Oh, how can we be saved? Brothers, How can we be saved from this terrible, unquenchable fire? The house is in flames! There is no escape! He was silent for a while, and real tears flowed down his cheeks. It was for about eight years that each time when he got to this part of his speech, which he himself liked so well, he felt a choking in his throat and an irritation in his nose and the tears came to his eyes, and these tears touched him still more. So he describes this movement going on for over an eight-year period. Mm-hmm. Sobs were heard in the room. The countess Katrina Ivanov sat with her elbows on an inlaid table, leaning her head in her hands. This countess is, is uh, uh, the friend of Nikludov who had invited him to the meeting, and she's the hostess of the whole thing. Leaning her head on her hands and her shoulders were shaking, the coachman looked with fear and surprise at the foreigner, feeling as if he was about to run him down with a pole of his carriage and the foreigner would not move out of his way. All sat in positions similar to that of Katrina Ivanova, the same position she had assumed. Wolf's daughter, a thin, fashionably dressed woman, very like her father, knelt with her face in her hands. The orator suddenly recovered his face and smiled a very real-looking smile, such as actors express joy with, and began again with a sweet, gentle voice. And so Tolstoy is saying, he's an actor. Interesting. Yeah, see... The people are phony, and he's an actor. Yeah. Uh, and then, but this is his message when he gets up. Yet there is a way to be saved. Now, this is Tolstoy's, Tolstoy's quote of what Kaiswetter would say. Yet there is a way to be saved. There it is, a joyful, easy way. And that's the very point that Tolstoy despises. The main character of the book goes on this lengthy pilgrimage of human suffering and sacrifice in order to experience a new birth, mm-hmm. a, re- a resurrection. Actually, when you come to the end of the book, and it's, you it, know, Tolstoy, it's his last book, and he himself had spent his life trying to uh, uh, discover the right way. And if you read Tolstoy's actual life history, it's very disappointing. He may have committed suicide. He was, oh, a, really? it was a very sad story. And there was a lot of contradictions in his whole thinking. Hmm. But in the book, he is expressing a lot of this, where he, he uh, comes to the end of the book, and there's a sense in which he is satisfied, but he's not. Hmm. Very unsatisfied. Yeah. And it's all a subjective thing. Uh, there's no objective revelation from God which gives him true assurance about being actually right with God. And Tolstoy tells about Kaiswetter's preaching about eternal punishment. Now, the Russian Orthodox people believed in eternal punishment, but Tolstoy has rejected the idea. Hmm. He hates it. But it's a main feature of sweaters preaching and also the idea of a payment through Christ's suffering and the shed blood of Christ to redeem fallen people and that they can be saved. But when Tolstoy hears it, he says, well, you're saying it's easy. We don't want it to be easy. he has a problem with that. He's got a big problem with it, a huge problem. Well, for us who have come to Christ, we may agonize in the process of Discovering what the gospel is, but after you believe the gospel, and I've heard it from many people, they'll say, "I can't believe how easy it was." Yeah. Now, in a way, it's in a way, it's not easy because people will cry and they will agonize and strive to enter in at the narrow gate. Mm-hmm. But in another sense, there's a simplicity to the gospel and an immediacy about the gospel. Yeah, well, it defeats our self-righteous pride. Exactly. Yeah.